like you, you mentioned a lot of positives. Are there any negatives to doing this? No. <laughs> um... <laughs> object-oriented code to kill the unkillable abyss persist though the progress has slowed to patch the unpatchable file to get a release candidate to type when your hands are too weary. Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 186. My name is Mike Anello, and I'm flying solo today as your host um, with my guest, Mark Carver. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hello. Doing pretty good. Uh, Mark, you are a senior front-end performance engineer with Tag1 Consulting, which that while, that's, while that's interesting, that's not the sole reason you're here. You're also <laughs> the maintainer of the Bootstrap base theme. Yes, I am. Yeah, and I thought to have you on because you know Bootstrap, you know, is it's a big it's a big thing, not just in the Drupal community, but it's a big you know framework that a lot of people use. Um, yeah, and, it's pretty big. Yeah, and the Bootstrap base theme is you know it's it, it was popular in Drupal seven, and as far as other base themes go, it's pretty mature for Drupal eight. I think you just released beta two, which we're going to talk about in a minute or two. Before we do that, though, let me real quick let me just mention our sponsor, uh, mydropwizard.com. They do Drupal six long term support. So if you have a Drupal six site that um, you know, may need some security updates or is a little long in the tooth, you might want to kind of sub that work out to mydropwizard.com. They're one of the official, um, uh, I don't even know what the phrase is anymore, the official long-term support long-term providers. Support. Yeah, I think Tag1 is... is Tag1 uh, is actually one as well, yes. Probably, we probably shouldn't mention that right now. Maybe, <laughs> maybe later, but... <laughs> um, but in addition to maintaining Drupal 6, they also maintain Drupal 7 and 8 uh, sites. Uh, basically, you hand them access to uh, your environment, your repository, and they make sure that everything that needs to be updated gets updated. Um, in addition, they will white-label this service. So if you want to offer this to your clients, um, then you can do that as well, and they'll work with you on that. So you can check that out on uh, mydropwizard.com slash drupal dash six dash l t s okay uh mark so let's uh kind of start at the beginning so you're a front-end uh, performance engineer at tag one um right. so is that different than a front-end developer or are you focused on something slightly more narrow yes than front-end no. developer um i it's a fancy title for sure. Um, <laughs> basically, what it means is that I, yes, I am a front end developer, but I also spend a lot of time on trying to optimize it and make things a lot more performant um, okay. from you know maintainability standpoint as well as you know speed and and accessibility stuff like that. So it it is a little bit more involved in and you know benchmarking and, and stuff like that, making sure that the code actually runs smoothly and, and fast and. You know, it doesn't cause a lot of uh, browser um, cruft, essentially. So um, it is a little bit more involved than most typical front-end developers would probably get into, yes. So not to – I don't want to go down the rabbit hole right off the bat, but you kind of piqued <laughs> my interest here. So when as far as front-end performance, you're talking, you know, obviously about, you know, keeping your HTML and CSS clean and to a minimum. But it sounds like you're also talking about um, – you know, making sure the HTML and CSS that you do have renders, you know, performantly, you know, from, from a timeline standpoint in a browser. Is that about right? Kind of. I mean, yes, yeah. I do optimize this uh, HTML, CSS as much as possible. That right. being said, I'm less concerned about that uh, these days with the fact that, you know, browsers are getting smarter and whatnot. Um, yeah. JavaScript is really where a lot of the performance stuff comes okay. into play uh, because a lot of, Contributed modules, for instance, don't understand how to do JavaScript that well. Um, and so you're often fighting with a lot of, um, uh, I don't know how, the correct way of saying this, but uh, 
just things that aren't, that don't mesh well together. And so mm-hmm. instead of, you know, parsing the DOM multiple times, you try to, you know, limit it to, you know, once or twice or, or at least, you know, I mean, yes, the Drupal behaviors kind of help with that, but um, it, it goes a lot more in depth into that, but. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I missed the, well, yeah, I, I, I wasn't thinking about the whole JavaScript side of it, but yeah, that seems like the, the obvious answer there. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about, um, Bootstrap for a few minutes. Okay. Um, how did you first get involved in, in using Bootstrap? Um, I actually first got involved when I was back at level 10, uh, which is a, uh, web development, uh, shop here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, and we needed to redesign the website for them, for that, for that company. And I did a lot of exhaustive research on what to use as a, a framework. Um, I did a lot of research, uh, not just our Drupal homegrown based themes, but also, you know, external frameworks, uh, frameworks like Bootstrap and, um, uh, Zerb Foundation, um, and a few others too. But ultimately I came to the conclusion that Bootstrap had the most bang for the buck because there was enough external resources out there that I didn't have to spend my time documenting a lot of the, the classes and, and structures of the markup. I could just point my coworkers and colleagues to, you know, external resources for them to learn. So it allowed me to spend time on focusing on developing the site rather than documenting and uh, training other people. So at that time, was there already a Bootstrap based theme? Um, it wasn't a base theme. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was before I got involved actually with the project. Um, okay. it wasn't a base theme. It was just a contributed theme on D.O. Um, and there was a lot of confusion actually on how to sub theme it. And that's actually how I got involved with the project was because I created the first sub theme template, if you will, starter kit for that project. Um, and I essentially just started from there and, <laughs> Three years later. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point in those three years, there was a coup. <laughs> but um, well, I wouldn't say a coup. It's just <laughs> I had more passion, I think, than other people yeah. in maintaining it and actually making it into a proper, quote-unquote, base theme, if you will, uh, with, with the understanding that it was meant to be a base theme and not make too many assumptions and just focus on the actual integration between the framework and Drupal. Right. Is it safe to assume that, and I'm assuming this just because... I use Bootstrap when I'm in the issue queue. I, you know, I see your name in the issue queue a lot. Um, are there other active maintainers other than you? Define active. <laughs> okay, um, the third question: as active as you? Technically, there are two other active maintainers: um, uh, Wundu Fabiano, um, who is uh, with. Oh gosh, I cannot remember his. Uh, uh, that's okay. He's not a guest uh, today. So Chuva Incorporated, <laughs> um, his company uh, helps maintain it. Um, I don't think that uh, they really um, do a lot of active uh, maintaining, so to speak. Um, it's more so in the issue queues and testing things. I would say that I'm probably the most active maintainer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we come and go. I mean, there's also Near Dark, uh, John McCormick. Um, uh, he's um, with, uh, who is he with? I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's been a while since I've, I've, I've kept up with him. Um, anyway, he's, he's also a front end developer that uh, has been on the project and has helped out tremendously, especially on the D8 side of things, uh, initially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there are active maintainers. Uh, I'm probably just the most active and most vocal and the most passionate about the project still. Are you are you also active in the in the boost the non Drupal like Bootstrap community? Actually, not so much. Um, yeah. I, I'm not really involved with. Um, I mean, I, I've created a plugin or two, and I've created an issue or two in their in their uh, issue right. queues, but um, I, I'm not as an active, and I would say in that community than this one. Um, my primary goal with this project and with Bootstrap is to really focus on the Drupal integration aspect of things, sure. um, which is really kind of a full-time job in and of itself. So I, I'm more along the lines of um, seeing what the community, like their community, the Bootstrap community does, and then taking whatever they come out and put out and trying to get that to work with Drupal. So, so I mean, uh, uh, you're probably familiar with, well, actually, not probably, but 
real quick, I just want to talk about the, you know we're at Bootstrap version three right now, and Bootstrap four has kind of been out there for a while, just kind of you know percolating for a while. Um, are you familiar with like like where does that stand? Are we going to see Bootstrap four sometime in the near future? Could, can do you know enough? about, you know, kind of the situation there to, to kind of shed some light on it? There's already a, a 4X branch, both 4.7 and, and 8. Um, there isn't anything in there um, <laughs> currently. It's more just for placeholders in, the, in our issue queue. Um, right. I'm well aware that the Bootstrap 4 is coming. Unfortunately, it's been an alpha for a Ever. year or so now. Yeah. Um, and they haven't really released a, a beta yet. So I... I really want to wait until at least a beta, possibly even then, and a second beta before I really start to dive too deep into it because I'm afraid that they might change stuff, which they've already have between alphas already. So right. I, I don't want to try and port something that will that might possibly change. So just to not waste my time or anyone else's time, I kind of you know put that on the the burner until something a little bit more stable from them comes out the pipeline. It seems like from what I've read that there's some pretty major changes that are going to be. There are component changes for sure. Um, There's also the fact that it's in SAS now instead of less, which is really kind of trivial uh, from my perspective. Right. Um, As far as I can tell, there really hasn't been a lot of class changes, at least in the sense that, um, like for instance, between Bootstrap 2 and 3, there were significant changes to the grid system and the classes used and mm-hmm. and how things are set up that way. So getting the change, I, I don't see it being too big of a task. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to underscore it in any sense of the matter, but there definitely will be some uh, timing to be spent on getting Bootstrap 4 and Drupal working properly, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, that's actually a nice little segue into um, the base theme that you're working on, you just released uh, beta two of the D8 uh, bootstrap base theme. Uh, Actually, kind of it was the, an RC2. RC2. Oh, it was it RC2? I'm sorry. Yes. Um, yes, beta two has been a while away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For some reason, my mind, whatever I saw, I just translated it into a beta. Um, but it, the big kind of marquee feature of the new release candidate is uh, the inclusion of SAS source files now. Our overrides, yes. Uh, well, it's also it's more specifically the starter kit um, and creating documentation for that starter kit, as well as providing the overrides CSS and SAS. Um, yes, that's a big portion of it, and we actually backported that to seven uh, to seven X branch as well. So um, that is a big big step for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, what else is in the pipeline for the D eight version? Is it is it are there any big features? I mean, it seems like from, you know, I've used that on a couple of projects now. It seems fairly complete, but is there anything without anyone having to dive into the issue queue and look, is there anything that's kind of out there on the horizon that you'd like to get in? Um, I've actually been working uh, with uh, the D8 version quite extensively for uh, Tag 1, actually, uh, with our LTS, uh, LTS site, uh, Quo service. Mm-hmm. Um, we're using Bootstrap as the base theme for that as well. And one of the reasons I haven't released another RC lately is because I've been fixing a lot of bugs. Um, so, yeah, right now it's it's pretty stable. There are definitely a few bugs here and there that I'm trying to squash before I make an actual release. But for the most part, yeah, it is pretty stable. And I would expect a full release probably in the next month or two. Oh, that's great. Um, so one thing I noticed when I first started using it, because you know, I played around with a couple different you know themes in, in D8, and I noticed that uh, Bootstrap doesn't use stable as its base theme. No. I think it's set to false, right? Which means there's no Correct. base theme. And from things that I've read, that's, you know, that doesn't sound like it's, uh, from things that I've read have said that's not like a best practice. So what, <laughs> what's your thinking behind that? Do you even agree with that, that it's not a best um, practice? It depends on the context, really. I mean, sure. if you're talking to someone like me, then that doesn't apply. I, I understand the theme system very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand uh, how core operates and what it outputs and where it comes from. And, and I understand the different components of core. So it, 
I don't necessarily believe that statement to be true for someone like myself. Um, for someone that's starting out or don't doesn't understand the theme system or how um, base themes and, and sub themes work, then yeah, I would recommend using Stable. Um, the thing with Bootstrap though is that it's also an external framework. So my reasoning behind not including um, the the Stable base theme is because. I'm using an external framework. I don't want to have to fight with core and what it assumes is going to be quote unquote stable for core rather than the framework that I'm actually having to support. So if I need support in features from core and keep my own version of stable, like in my, in my eyes, bootstrap, the base theme is the, is the bootstrap version of stable for core. Does it make sense? Right. Yeah. So you're, you're looking at it from a standpoint that if there are changes, you're an active enough maintainer where you're going to push out a new version of Bootstrap so that people who build their sites on Bootstrap aren't affected. Correct. Right. And where other, you know, if you're just building, you know, a, a kind of a one-off custom theme for someone, you probably don't want to do that because you might be working on that project, you know, for a client, you know, three months ago, but you're not working on them yeah. anymore, but they go and update Drupal core and then stuff starts breaking. Yeah. And, Yes, there has been a lot of um, issues, I would say, that, you know, oh, this doesn't work in, in Bootstrap, you know, it works with core or whatever. And it turned out to be a lot of, like, uh, JavaScript selectors or, sure. or data attributes that were missing, which in my eyes, it's fine to, uh, you know, have issues in our queue for that because I would rather maintain that from our standpoint to make sure that if for whatever reason, say that we want to not use that component from core, then we can. We don't. We can just take out that stuff and not have to worry about removing it from that stable base theme. So mm-hmm. um, we can just remove the stuff from our maintainability, uh, our main, our source code, and just you know implement a new feature. Um, case in point, um, uh, the dro- uh, the drop down buttons uh, that come from core. Uh, a lot of that code, <laughs> uh, a lot of that JavaScript, we don't even need. A lot of that those selectors, we don't even need because we're not using. The dropdown component from core, we're actually using Drupal, uh, or sorry, uh, Bootstrap's dropdown buttons. So, uh, and their and their dropdown menus and stuff like that. So, that's one of the reasons why we chose not to use the stable base theme because there's no point in using something that we might not actually end up using. <laughs> okay, Which sure. is actually kind of the whole point of why Classy was introduced, um, and the fact that Stark, basically, you know, core output doesn't have anything in it. That was one of my arguments back in DC Austin, actually. Um, and that's why Classy came into, uh, came into you know, existence and why Stable came into existence is because from, a, from, my sta- from my standpoint, I want to make sure that whatever Core gives me is the bare minimum. <laughs> right. I don't want any assumptions from Core in what, what I need or what I want because as you know, a maintainer that's using an external framework and has to integrate that, I need to be in control of what is being output. You know, I don't need to unpack from core where this is coming from and then do some hackish, you know, preg replace to, you know, take out what core provides. All right. That makes sense. It's basically a, a social contract that you're making by saying there are maintainers of Drupal core that keep stable, stable. But what you're mm-hmm. saying is I'm the maintainer of bootstrap and I'm telling you, I'm going to keep bootstrap stable. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. Very good. So real quick, let's drop down to Drupal 7 version of Bootstrap. Um, sure. You mentioned that. That just got um, some SaaS goodness at the same time as the D8 version. <laughs> yep. Is there anything else? I mean, is Drupal 7 version just kind of on um, you know, the maintenance plan at this point? Or are there actively new features going into that? <laughs> That's a good question. I really haven't given that a lot of thought. Um, part, partially because I really haven't had time to think about it. Um, I've been so busy on trying to, you know, get the D8 version out the door that, you know, you know, yeah, the D7 version kind of has taken a back seat. That doesn't you know, mean that I don't still care about it. I mean, I still have projects that I have to work on in the D7 version. Yeah, so, but you don't have to apologize. You only have so many, you know, people only have so many hours in the day. <laughs> sure, true, true. <laughs> um, but I mean, at the same time, like, I, I just don't want people to think, oh, well, now that eight's out, we're gonna, we're not going to, you know, care about this. No, that's, I really don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that it would probably get a whole lot of new features. Um, we'll definitely try and backport what we can. Um, but just to give you an example, like, um, in D8, there's this whole 
plugin system that I created for Bootstrap that allows us to um, essentially put all of our stuff into classes. And a prime example of this is like all of our theme settings um, and even form alters and preprocesses. Um, all that that plugin system is is at its core part of D8, and we can't backport that stuff to D7. Sure. So there's a lot of features that I would love to have in D7, but we can't actually backport them. So uh, I don't see a lot of fe- new features going in, uh, unless it's things like you know the SAS starter kit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- I suspect that maybe Drush might be coming to it eventually one day when I get Drush support <laughs> working for both. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's it's probably pretty. Uh, quiet for the moment, for sure. So that kind of, um, you know, talking about availability and, and, you know, you just don't, you didn't have, the fact that you, you don't have a whole lot of time. Um, does tag one, or do, when you're working on bootstrap, is tag one covering that? Or is, or is some of this on your own time? Or is there a split there? Or how, how does that work? Um, all of the above. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bootstrap has become my life for the past three years. Um, I actually, whether it's for tag one, a client internally, um, personally, I kind of just work on it when I work on it. Um, tag one, um, does, I guess I want to say pay me to work on it, but I do use it for our projects. So whether it's a client, uh, project or whether it's, you know, um, internal projects, you know, like our, our tag one quo, um, I do work on the project because of those. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. like I am kind of paid for it. Yes. Um, but even then at the end of the day, after my you know eight hours are up, I'm oftentimes, you know, working on it on my own time. <laughs> so um, <laughs> just, you know, trying to catch up things that need to have, you know, happen and whatnot. So in fact, actually that's what happened uh, over, you know, Christmas last uh, year, you know, getting the D8 initial uh, beta out. You know, I just spent a good week and just, hammering down on just, you know, making sure that, you know, we got something workable in D8 out the door. I mean, it sounds, it definitely sounds like you're, you're passionate about it. Oh, I very mean, much so. Yeah. Have you, I mean, have you, has there been a time, have you ever burned out on it at all? Um, <laughs> times where you no, just said enough with really. this, I, I got to walk away for a little while or. No, um, not with the project itself. I would say that if anything, I get a little frustrated with um, a lot of the support uh, issues that come in the issue queue. Oh, sure. Um, In my eyes, I would say that the issue queue is meant for the actual Drupal bootstrap integration, like the actual code of the project and and documenting bugs of that, that nature, Mm -hmm. you know, site specific or uh, styling specific, like generic questions that are kind of open-ended that, that pop in our issue queue kind of frustrate me, but I mean, you know, that'll happen no matter what project you're in. So, um, well, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the nature of open source, right? True. True. Yeah. I mean, and I, I just, I want to say I get burnt out though, but no. All right. So let's, uh, let's put on like your sales hat here real quick. If you, if you're talking to a client and, um, and a client says, no, no, I don't want to use bootstrap. I want to use some other framework. What's kind of your pitch there? What you know? What's your, your your pitch to convince someone that they should be using Bootstrap over something else? I think we've heard bits and pieces throughout the past you know fifteen twenty minutes, but <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, though, I mean, if they want to use their own framework or or some other project, then I'm I'm fine with that. Like, and that's I think the biggest misconception is that I've actually I still work on projects that don't use Bootstrap, so. Um, in fact, actually, I just recently finished one that was pure static HTML. So, <laughs> um, I don't think that there is a. Um, I know you want a sales pitch, but I don't think that there is a sales pitch. It depends on the project. You know, what are the needs of the project are, and in some cases, Bootstrap isn't a good fit. Now, that being said, uh, if they're if we're talking about Drupal base themes, if you will. Um, the bootstrap based theme, uh, isn't just about bootstrap. It's also encompasses a whole slew of, of developer enhancements and, and utilities and, and helper methods and all this stuff that really make, uh, theming, uh, powerful for, or make, makes make theming powerful for a themer. So, especially for someone like myself. So if I'm having to create all this stuff from scratch and another theme, you know, and, and having to constantly copy and paste all these pre-processed stuff, you know, just to get the base, you know, stuff working, if you will, 
then yeah, that's going to eat up some time. So if they want to save money and go with something that actually is already exists and, and is powerful at the door, then I would recommend Bootstrap. Um, you, if you have something like uh, you know a framework that, or sorry, not a framework, but a, a Drupal base theme that just gives you a a tool set but no actual framework, then you're going to have to build a framework out of that, and then so you're stuck with you know building your own SaaS framework and and, mm-hmm. and compiling and it just it gets complicated. So it just depends. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's there's no right, right answer. There's no wrong answer. All right, here, let me, hopefully this is an easier question then. Um, let's say there's a, you know, a front-end developer who, who hasn't used Bootstrap before. They're familiar with HTML, CSS, maybe a little bit of SAS, you know, maybe some, you know, they know how to override Drupal templates and stuff. Um, what's the best way for a person like that to get started with Bootstrap? The or, base theme or the framework? Uh, well, both. Okay, well, um, get bootstrap.com for the framework and drupal-bootstrap.org for the, the base theme. Um, I actually spent a lot of time uh, in creating uh, a documentation site for this base theme. It, it's quite extensive. It actually parses. It's using the API module, actually, that D.O. uses, drupal.org uses, um, to parse all the PHP code. And I actually modified it so it also parses all the uh, markdown documentation as well. And so you have literally... Uh, tons of topics and, and documentation that links all together and and really helps give you a good overview and source of what the base theme actually can do, um, depending on your comfort level and, and your expertise level. So um, if you just want to create a quick, you know, sub theme or even just use the CDN, you know, right out of the box and just, you know, switch a few um, themes in the, in the Drupal boot swatch pick down, then go for it. If you feel more comfortable and actually just want to create a sub theme, there are starter kits that can, you know, with instructions on how to get you started with that too. So if you feel even more adventurous and feel like you're you know, diving into the real, you know, guts of the, the base theme, you know, you can implement, like I was mentioned earlier, those uh, bootstrap uh, plugins um, that actually, you know, give you really some powerful uh, capabilities um, and just some common tasks that we common you know do all the time in uh, pre-processing and and stuff like that. So I mean, there, there's quite a bit of knowledge there just from that alone. Um, you know, other than that, just you know look throughout the web. I mean, you have tons and tons of tutorials and and you know Bootply and and then you know other snippet sites. You know that give you tons and tons of resources of how you can do something in, in Bootstrap. So you know just search that's my best answer just search so we were we were talking um and by the way i completely forgot about drupalbootstrap.org as soon as i loaded it in my browser while you were talking there i'm like oh i've been here before i totally forgot about that um so thanks for mentioning that um we were talking before we started recording um you're not super big on like the drupal camp or you know circuit um are, are there and i'm trying to think back you know, as to whether or not I've actually seen presentations about, you know, Drupal and Bootstrap, and I I can't say that I have. Are is there anyone that you know that you know kind of gives Bootstrap presentations regularly? I don't I don't know about regularly, but um, Kyle Taylor, who's uh, one of my former coworkers with Level Ten, uh, he's here in uh, Denton, Dallas. Um, he is quite involved with the open source community, um, and I know that he does a lot of camps and a lot of um, uh, meetups and stuff like that. Uh, and I know he mentions Bootstrap quite a bit. Okay. I personally don't do them because uh, I'm I'm definitely a coder. <laughs> I, I, I don't do a lot of public speaking. So um, I don't mind the issue cues. I don't mind IRC, but you know, get me behind a microphone and I start to freeze up. So <laughs> well, you're doing um, fine right now, and I, and I appreciate well, you coming you. on. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, for real- the most part... I, okay, sorry. No, 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 by all means, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I'm not necessarily familiar with any one particular person that, that handles Bootstrap as extensively as someone like, say, myself um, that does speaks, uh, speak at groups. But um, I know that um, almost probably anyone that does Drupal is still, will probably have touched Bootstrap at some point in the next couple of years, <laughs> <laughs> considering that it's number one on DDoD right now. <laughs> All right, real quick, um, just because you're a front-end developer and, you know, render arrays are a thing, are you, or 
are you pro render arrays or anti render arrays? <laughs> That's a loaded <laughs> question. Um, totally. <laughs> I, from an architectural standpoint, I hate them. Of course, everyone hates them. Um, that being said, do I understand them and can I work with them? Sure. I love them in that sense. Like I know how a render array should work. And when it doesn't, I usually can pinpoint it pretty quickly. Um, most of the time on occasion, it can be quite tricky. Um, yeah, I look at them as a necessary evil. Yes. And no, it, it has more to do with the fact that our theming system, while, and I've said this many times in the past, uh, especially in issues is that, Yes, while we have Twig, Twig is great. Twig is awesome. I love Twig. I, I, I won't dispute that fact. However, that is the last process in our theming system. Absolute last. And our, our entire theming system is still based on this whole concept of render arrays. And you know how we get that data from a module to a theme is, is critical in my eyes. And we really didn't change a lot. I mean, we really didn't. I mean, we added some new quote-unquote APIs, which... You can't really have an API in an array, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, we have things like cacheability and and lazy loading and, and stuff like that, which are just new properties on these render arrays. But regardless, they're still render arrays. They're still abstract. They're still arbitrary. You know, we we don't have any real constraints on enforcing what a quote unquote render array really is. And you know, that's part of the reason why I implemented, say, for instance, like the utility helpers and the bootstrap base theme for like variables and elements and, and stuff like that is so that it helps standardize some of what we consider a quote unquote uh, render array and then do a lot of helper functions like adding classes or, or you know, checking if a property exists or, or stuff like that in a very object oriented way. So in that sense, I do love render arrays because I have built helpers that make it a lot easier now. Sure. So. Um, it, it is a love-hate relationship, sure. Um, I, I don't really understand how this new uh, release model will work with trying to take out render arrays in D9 whenever that might happen. <laughs> um, and what we might even replace it with. I, mean, you know, I know that Carl actually has uh, uh, C4RL on uh, IRC. He actually proposed the object-oriented version of render arrays. Uh, there's an issue for it somewhere. Um, that's quite interesting and actually probably <laughs> something I would really look forward to. Um, I, I don't really understand, though, how we could actually accomplish that given how vast our entire ecosystem is built on render arrays. <laughs> so um, I don't know. We'll see. All right, and I, I um, I'll definitely put that link in the uh, in the podcast notes. I, I've already found the issue, so that'll be interesting. Okay. All right, so let's do this. I actually have one more topic I was going to ask you about, and but I'm actually going to move it down to the news section um, here because I think it fits better there. So before we cover our three stories, uh, let me real quick talk about some Drupal Easy news, which by the time most people hear this, it will be in the past. Um, our, the fall 2016 session of the Drupal Career Online, our premier 12-week Drupal training program, Starts uh, September 26th. Um, it's actually just about sold out, which is very exciting. If it does sell out, it'll be the first time they'll actually sold out a session, um, which is, is pretty cool. Uh, if you're interested in that, um, by all means, contact us. We're going to run another session um, right after the new year, and uh, we can get you uh, set up and get you all the information you need to make a decision about that one. Uh, in addition... Uh, I will be in Dublin, uh, the Monday of DrupalCon, teaching Introduction to Drupal 8 Module Development. Um, so if you're in Dublin and you're looking for something to do at the last minute on Monday, by all means, uh, join us. So, Mark, uh, the first story, I'm going to move down from the interview section into the three stories section. Um, okay. Because I saw your name uh, in the issue queue. You, you had a lot of comments in there, and uh, you're, you're involved in this issue, so... I, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to get kind of a first-hand account of it. Um, something that I was unaware of is that Dreaditor, um, there's an effort to move Dreaditor out of being a browser extension and into, fun you know, part of the functionality of Drupal.org. Um, Correct. And that seems to be in process. So can you kind of give us the, the lowdown on that? Sure. Um, 
Well, I mean, what a lot of people don't understand is that I actually maintain Dreadeditor as well. Uh, that's one of my other passionate projects. <laughs> uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so vocal in that issue uh, that you mentioned, because uh, I actually am the maintainer of Dreadeditor. Uh, I have been for the past three years, ever since uh, Sun kind of uh, left our community. Um, so a little bit of back history <laughs> into Dreadeditor. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand is that um, so Dreadeditor it, it originally started out as a monkey script, um, uh, user script uh, that um, it was Grease Monkey, right? Yeah, Grease Monkey, a monkey script uh, that started out as right. you know just a user script that people could load into their browsers, and it was this whole manual process, and it was really confusing for people that didn't understand what you know Grease Monkey was and what user scripts were, and it just was very complicated, especially trying to get you know new people to Drupal uh, to <laughs> try and install this at, at say like DrupalCons or or camps or whatever you know. And so I um, you know I also started you know th- this was also when Dreadeditor was actually a project on D.O itself as well. Um, I actually started creating issues and was trying to help out and noticed that there was just no activity whatsoever. And so. I petitioned the webmasters queue to take over that project. Um, and I followed the whole procedures, um, you know, waited two weeks and there was no response. And so I effectively quote unquote won that project. Um, <laughs> and so I started maintaining it and, uh, Kotzer, uh, Scott Reeves, uh, he helped co-maintain it with me actually as well. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, that was, for the past three years, something that I've been doing fairly well. I mean, it's been pretty stable. Um, one of the big major changes that I, you know, well, several major changes that I did to that project was that I moved it from D.O to GitHub, um, partially so we could have, you know, this whole grunt um, building process testing and, and stuff like that through Travis CI and um, just it had a better infrastructure for a JavaScript-based project like that. Um, and then the other change that I made was turning them into actual brow- native browser extensions. So there was literally this just one click that people could, you know, you know, click to install and then suddenly they have Dreadeditor, but there was none of this, you know, user script that they had to manually install and figure out, you know, how to do that. So, um, it, I really put a lot of infrastructure in place to make sure that Dreadeditor was something very easy that people could get. Um, that being said, for the past three years, what I've learned about this project is that a browser extension just isn't feasible. <laughs> it's just isn't, it, it doesn't work. Um, there's several reasons behind that. One of the reasons, uh, excuse me, is that Firefox actually requires signing extensions now. Um, long story short, uh, yes, we can do that. It would take a lot of re-architecture of the code anyway. And it's just, it's a, it's a huge unknown and it would just put the project you know, back several, several, several months. I mean, just well, it, plus a high level happen. of effort. Yeah, it's a huge, huge high level of effort because, <laughs> quite honestly, browser extensions aren't my forte. <laughs> so I, I would have to do a lot of learning and trial and error, and yeah, whatever. Um, so <laughs> what we've opted instead from that issue is that we're actually moving. I, I created this concept called use this this module called user enhancements. Okay, and. I created this concept, user enhancements, and basically it's libraries, but with toggable interface on your user account. So, you know, anybody can go into their D.O user account, not not right now, soon, whenever it gets deployed, they can go into their user account and then click on user enhancements and then toggle these features that were from Dreadeditor originally that I've actually refactored to make a little bit better um, and more co- um native, so to speak, with D.O, is, you know, they can just toggle these features on and off. One of the things that I've actually realized, though, is that Dreadeditor, when people think of Dreadeditor, they think of the patch review. Um, That is a big component of Dreadeditor. And so what I've actually opted to do instead is repurpose the name Dreadeditor as this project, you know, parsing and, and rendering the diff, if you will. And so that's really what I've done with this project is I'm taking out all the other stuff besides the patch review and moving it to D.O natively as user enhancements, if you will. And then I'm leaving Dreadeditor as a external project that does one thing and one thing only, parsing and rendering diffs, period. And I'm actually creating a whole UI that will be able to tie it 
be tied into D.O through this user enhancement toggle as well. So people that want it can use it and people that don't, they can you know, not check, you know, not enable it. But essentially, um, we're yes, we're saying goodbye to the Dread Editor as we know it, and that is the browser extension we're saying goodbye to. We're not saying goodbye to the features, though. We're just kind of moving them around, renaming them, you know, doing stuff like that uh, and making it a little bit easier for everybody. So um, another reason, too, I should mention, too, is that if we can... Not if, but when we get these features into D.O. natively, they'll be able to work on mobile devices. So, you know, that was a big, big, big hindrance uh, to uh, these this project, if you will, is that you can't install browser extensions on a phone. You know, you can't, you know, do a patch review or, you know, mark all this red or, or you know, embed an image or whatever, you know, whatever you want to do that Dreader gave you on a mobile device that you were so used to. So... That was another another huge reason for why this move just needs to happen. So, um, so yeah, yeah. A lot of people are saying, "Oh my God, it's going away." No, it's not. It's just it's being rethought and re, you know, extracted and, and moved around and renamed and and doing a lot of stuff that needs to happen based on just you know the past three years of history that we've learned. Other than that reason, other than the oh no, it's going away. What were some of the other like? Like you, you mentioned a lot of positives. Are there any negatives to doing this? No. <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, would everybody agree is, that there's no other negatives? <laughs> I'm sure some people love the fact that it's a browser extension. I, mm-hmm. I understand that concept, but in reality, it just doesn't work. You know, yeah. I, I get that some people will want to keep this quote unquote the way Dreaditor is alive. I get that, but. Um, that isn't feasible for the long term, um, yeah. and for you know the other people that you know don't even know about Dreaditor. <laughs> like you know these people that well, that want to keep Dreaditor the way they are, fine. If they feel like maintaining this this antiquated way of doing it, then sure, go for it. But um, it, it's not something that is very feasible in the long run. Right, and that you kind of you, you kind of you know said something that that I was going to bring up. You, you kind of already answered my question. Is it? The reason why it's being changed from a you know, browser extension into you know being part of Drupal.org is because there's doesn't seem to be anybody who's willing to maintain it as a browser extension. And if, I guess it, you know it's open source, so if you're not willing to put in the work, then you know it's gonna. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's it's not necessarily about maintaining it as a browser extension. It's more about the fact that. You have to, again, also realize that Dreaditor started as a way to implement prototypical changes on D.O because D.O was, at the time, in D6. And it was very difficult to get these features mm-hmm. ported into you know, D.O uh, on this, this version of Drupal. And you know, there wasn't a lot of infrastructure in place that allowed for very quick you know, you know, dev environments or changes or stuff like that we have, like, like we have now. So I... There is a lot that has changed in just the past three years, let alone the past six years, that when Dreaditor first was created. So, you know, what the so, reason behind why Dreaditor was created no longer applies. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is if if as of this second we did not have Dreaditor as a browser extension or any of these this functionality, if we kind of look at this with a fresh face and say, hey, we should have these features. How should we do we it? We just implement them. <laughs> yeah, the, the obvious yeah. answer would be we do it on Drupal.org, I think. Exactly. And that, that's exactly what we, we are doing right now. I mean, you've already seen, like, just in the past year, like, you know, the what's new on D.O. Sure. You know, blog posts that come out each month, you know. Like, that, that stuff, like, that level of feature is so much higher than what Dreaditor is outputting right now. <laughs> You know, so I mean, the fact that we're able to, you know, that the right. DIO team, as they and the Infra team and, and the DA team are actually able to consolidate, you know, their priorities and to implement these features in a very fast-paced environment, I applaud them for because that's exactly what we needed and they've delivered, and, and so that's what has made Dreaditor antiquated. All right, very good. So uh, let's move on to the next story. Who sponsors Drupal development? Um, we, you know, we touched on this topic a couple of minutes ago, you know, when you're talking about the tag one, you know, you kind of, you work for tag one, but you're, you're working on bootstrap stuff. And some of that ultimately goes back to the community. 
Um, recently, uh, Dries and Matthew Tift, who um, kind of a, just one of our, I think, one of our better authors in the in the Drupal community. He writes really amazing blog posts about the community. Um, but they teamed up and wrote a new article or a new blog post called Who Sponsors Drupal Development, where they really dove into the data, a lot of it um, from the issue, the new issue credit system. So they looked at uh, data... Which was a feature by Dreader, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> yeah. Um, they looked at data from uh, a year, from July 1st, 2015 to June mm-hmm. 30th, 2016. And a lot, I mean, the article is just, it's, it's dense with facts. It's really, really super interesting. But I, I pulled a few out that I wanted to mention. Um, uh, that, so number one, approximately 51% of all contributors, and this is not just Drupal core, this is, um, this is module development and theme development as well. Or let's just say, Project development on Drupal.org. Uh, 51% of the contributors involved got just one credit. So roughly half of our contributors are just kind of like one-offs. And maybe that is something where they're, you know, they're at a camp or they're at a con and they get involved for a day, but then, you know, they don't have the time or, or the desire to, to follow through. Or it could just be people who are on the fringes of our community who find a bug or want a feature and they contribute something and, 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 and you know, get uh, credit for it. Um, What's really interesting is the top 30, you know, 30 contributors, uh, which is about a half a percent, account for over 20% of the total issue credits. So that, I don't know if, to me, that's kind of scary because we have a very few number of, uh, you know, a very few people who are contributing a lot, um, and I find it scarier more from a burnout perspective than anything. Um, sure. Yeah. And to be honest, I feel the same way about you right now, Mark, after hearing everything that you're doing. So you need to like go outside <laughs> and like run around or something, get some sunlight <laughs> before yeah. you burn out as well. Um, uh, it won't happen anytime soon. Okay. Uh, but no, yeah, I understand what you mean. Like, it, it, unfortunately, though, that's the what we call the uh, or what it is called in the, in the internet community the one percent rule. Um, right. And it's probably even and and Jen Lampton actually uh, did a blog post about this a long time yeah, ago too. Um, it's even more uh, diverse uh, for our community because it's like you know like point one percent of our community actually is responsible for all the core and uh, right. and it's just it's it's a really astonishing number if you think about it and. Uh, in fact, actually, I, I wrote a blog post uh, last year about uh, why we should have a framework in core. Uh, which I'll give you the link here afterwards. Um, uh, it's it's quite a read, but I mean, I, I go into pretty big detail of you know that whole concept of the one percent. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, we'll add that to the uh, to the notes as well. Um, the the final stat I want to throw out here is you know there were in that one year period there were almost thirty three thousand um, commit credits. And out of those uh, almost 33,000, about 70% of that, them were sponsored, which means that when a contributor you know, added a patch or, or left a comment or something, their comment was attributed to um, themselves and their organization, which makes it sponsored. So I thought that was um, – if I had to guess, I would have said it would have been about half. So considerably higher than I would have guessed. Uh, what do you think about that number, Mark? Is that about where you think it, you know, where you thought it would be? To be honest, I really think it was this lot of thought. Yeah. Um, I, re- I remember when this was implemented. And in fact, like I mentioned just a little bit ago, it was a, a semi feature. It was, it's a feature that evolved from Dreaditor, I should say. It, Dreaditor originally had the whole Git con- contribution aspect of it uh, in, the, in the browser extension. And then, we removed it in favor of D.O. implementing something more native, and they they took what we had and then went even further, and that was giving uh, contributions to companies and clients as well. And uh, I applaud them for that. Um, that's just something we didn't even think of. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, these numbers are quite astonishing, but not unsurprising. I mean, when this, I mean, this was a huge, um, feature, so to speak, that was rolled out, uh, and it was actually part of, um, uh, DrupalCon, uh, Barcelona, or maybe it was Amsterdam, I can't remember. It was Amsterdam, DrupalCon uh, Amsterdam, when this was rolled out. 
Uh, and, you know, that was something that Dries really, you know, you know, talked on, uh, about, you know, trying to, you know, we needed to get this data essentially. You know? mm-hmm. And, um, it's not unsurprising. I mean, when this was rolled out, you know, I know for myself, like I attribute tag one most of the time. Um, you know, I attribute clients when I can, if they allow us, um, you know, I just, I think it's important to keep track of that kind of information for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, final story, and again, something else you mentioned earlier. Um, you know how every month the, the uh, Drupal Association comes out with a "What's New on Drupal.org." Well, mm-hmm. the twenty, the August twenty sixteen edition. Um, there's a blog post by uh, Tim um, about what's new, and just a couple of the highlights. There. I'm going to mention these real quick. Um, there's an update to the Drupal.org homepage coming soon. That's going to focus more on the adoption journey. Um, if you listen to our podcast or even read, um, you know, some of the stuff that, that Megan, the new, uh, DA executive director has written about how the DA is now focusing on getting more people to adopt Drupal. Um, that's going to be reflected on the Drupal.org homepage soon. In addition, there has been, um, some better spam prevention put into place. Um, the ability to down, download DrupalCon invoices from user accounts. That is probably a pretty big time saver for DA staff, so they don't have to handle that stuff manually anymore. But I suppose they're going to have to answer a lot of emails with uh, by saying, "Download it from your user account." <laughs> probably put that on a on a text expander, as well as improvements to Drupal.org dev sites, uh, increased uh, kind of streamlining that process uh, and. Mm-hmm. Um, with virtualization and some other, I, I, I don't, I'm not too involved in it. Um, Mark, I know that you are, but and, and <laughs> yeah. you, you mentioned it earlier. It's the, it's, it's, it's a way that if you want to develop a new feature on Drupal.org, they can very quickly spin up a dev site for you on their mm-hmm. servers. Um, where you, you can, sanitize data and everything. And so you just have basically an exact copy. You can do whatever you want with. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you can, you know, build out your feature and, um, are there automated tests as well, or how, how does that work? I really haven't dove too deep okay. into the testing. I would imagine that they have some architecture in place for testing, but I'm not entirely sure yeah. how that works, to be honest. All right. Well, check it out. There's more details in the blog post, and there'll be the link in the podcast notes. All right. Picks of the week. I will go first real quick. Um, I was actually working with a client on a Drupal 7 site, and um, she asked me a question which – you know, it, it wasn't a surprising question, but it was something that I know I've done before and I probably did it before with like, you know, overriding a theme template or something. Um, but she had the requirement that there were some blocks that were, I think they were even on the homepage, but she wanted the title to be a link. She wanted the, the title of the block to be a link. And I said, you know, what? before we even think about doing this, let me just go on drupal.org and just see if there's a quick and dirty way of doing this, or maybe not dirty, but a quick you know, module that does this. And sure enough, um, the appropriately named block title link module found me very quickly, and it does, you know, it's kind of an, a no-brainer module if you need this type of functionality. It, when you go to edit a block on Drupal 7, there's a new text uh, field there that says enter the URL that you want the person to go to when they click the title. And it just kind of works. So it was one of those things that, you know, was a five minute solution. Um, that, and those tend to make clients very happy. Thanks. Yeah. So Mark, you have one, you kind of an interesting pick that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Don't. Well, I mean, for good reason. There's not, it's nothing there really, but I mean, it, <laughs> it is the companion project for the uh, administrative side of boot, bootstrap, if you will. Um, it's, uh, Drupal.org slash project slash bootstrap underscore admin. Um, it is the administrative sub theme of bootstrap. Uh, granted, that being said, it has absolutely nothing in it. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's not even really a project, but that I, I'm mentioning it because I really would like someone or, or a few people to really start help, you know, working on this with me, if you will. Um, it's something that I, I have been literally wanting to do for the past couple of years. Um, I just haven't really, it hasn't been a priority, you know, and I, I feel like there's a lot of people that misunderstand that the base theme isn't for administrative purposes. Um, administrative areas tend to be very convoluted with, you know, contributed module, JavaScript, and, and custom markup, and, you know, it, 
that is typically built around the assumption that your admin theme is going to be seven like, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and bootstrap is definitely nothing like seven. So, um, you know, for example, certain areas like views or features or, or other stuff, you know, especially in D seven, um, <clears throat> you know, just really don't have a good way of displaying bootstrap like, uh, administrative areas for, for admin stuff like this. So, um, while yes, the base team does take care of quite a bit of the, you know, functional elements, if you will. Um, there's still just some areas that need, you know, good hardcore love, you know, and I really would like to spend some time on this project if possible soon. So are you, is your goal to do this for D8 or D7? Uh, both actually. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's something that I, I think I would like to have a companion project for, you know, for the base theme itself, you know, and whether it's for D8 first, I would imagine for sure. Um, and then probably D7, yes. I would, I would like to see a D7 version as well. All right, for God's sakes, we need some people to help Mark, because now I'm, I'm seriously getting concerned that you're going to burn out here, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, if we can do one thing for you, it's find people to help you with, with some, of these, uh, really, some of this really cool stuff that you're working on. Um, <laughs> that would be cool, because if you think about it... Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, features, the, the features interface and the views interface. Challenging at best, I think, to make those responsive. Yeah, that is putting it mildly, but yes, yes. It's um, yeah. it, not just responsive, but just to work well with the bootstrap components, you know. I mean, you have to keep in mind, too, that a lot of this, these contrib modules uh, work with ctools, for instance, because ctools provides the modals or the, the Ajax capability or, yeah. or, or all these different things that we didn't have, you know, before, you know, but with, with something like bootstrap, bootstrap has a lot of these JavaScript components, you know, like drop down menus and mm-hmm. panels and, and stuff that really give us this UI that uh, we should use if we want it to look like bootstrap. So um, it, it just needs a lot of reworking, if you will. Um, and then the challenging portion of that is that um, a lot of these contributed modules tend, especially in their JavaScript, tend to just, you know, oh, append this HTML element right here, but don't run it through the Drupal.theme hook in JavaScript, you know, just inject this right here. So there's the only way for us to override it is to override the entire file, you know, instead of those, those themable components. So a lot of it is really either overriding it and then figuring out how to get the Drupal, uh, sorry, the bootstrap specific markup in there and, or working with these contributed modules to say, Hey, guess what? You know, this Drupal theme, maybe you should put this markup in there. <laughs> you know, So it, it makes it a lot easier for people like us that want to just go in and override things that right. we need. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like another like mountain to climb that project. All right, so, um, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, let's wrap things up here. Uh, upcoming events. Okay. Um, by the time, I, I have a feeling a lot of people will be listening to this on their way to DrupalCon Dublin, which starts <laughs> a little over a week from now. Um, companion um, uh, event for those people here in America who aren't lucky enough to uh, travel overseas uh, for DrupalCon Dublin is NEDCamp, which is New England Drupal Camp. Uh, a lot of people who are within striking distance, you know, the a short half day's drive, um, which is coming up at the end of September. And then uh, shout out to uh, our friends in Baltimore who, you know, hosted a, a great con this past year. But Baltimore Drupal Camp is coming up on October 7th. So um, links to all of those events will be in the podcast notes. Um, where can people find you if they're looking for you online, Mark? You can find me at drupal.com uh, slash you slash Mark Carver. Or drupal.org. No probably drupal.org, but that's okay. Sorry, drupal.org, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Mark underscore Carver. Um, you can find me on IRC, Mark Carver, all lowercase, um, no space. Uh and I have this, I'm on also part of the Slack channel too, I think, uh, but I don't really go in there too much. Um, but I'm around. Uh, you can definitely find me. All right. Very good. Um, Drupal Easy can be found at Drupal Easy on Twitter and pretty much anywhere else. 
Um, our co-hosts, Andrew M. Riley, Liberator, Ted Bowe, myself, Ultimike, uh, A. Collada, and Bright Bold. I'll follow all of us on Twitter if you would like. Um, so let's wrap things up here, uh, Mark, with five questions. So sure. don't think too hard and don't give us too long of an answer. Just quick, short answers. We're going to find out a little bit more about you. Um, this first question I'm really worried about asking you based on, you know, everything we've learned about you so far, but <laughs> <laughs> name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Uh, I travel, um, whether it's, you know, abroad on a plane or, uh, whatnot, but I also do road trips. I love road trips. I grew up driving or ride, riding, if you will, with my mom. Uh, she would take us on like six week long road trips when we were growing up. So, uh, driving and riding in cars is something that's kind of in my blood. So- uh, and I, Make it a point to go on very long road trips at least once a year, if not twice. So, where are some of the, like, like, what's one or two of your favorite places to visit? Uh, well, I mean, I've been all over the U.S. So, I, I lived in Alaska for five years too. So, I would say that Alaska is probably my most favorite place to visit. Um, can't really drive up there easily. Um, but uh, I, my favorite place to drive would probably be uh, to California. I like driving out to California. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, name the last piece of software you installed, and it can be on a phone or a TV or your, or your computer, wherever. Oh, um, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I recently started working with Plex. I've been trying to get my own uh, home media oh. server set up. All right, very good. We've had that answer a few times, surprisingly. This one always gives our guests the, the biggest uh, problem is what's a goal that you have, but you haven't accomplished yet, but that's kind of scary. Figuring out not how to get burnt out. <laughs> 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 and to also in that same note, also becoming more healthier um, and then not being behind the computer desk all the time. Um, it's something I struggle with for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are all very related, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What's the last exotic animal that you hand-fed? It's been a while since I've actually seen a wild animal, but uh, I would have to say a buffalo. A buffalo. All right. We'll go with that yeah. one. And, and, and or a donkey, a uh, miniature donkey. My, uh, my aunt had a ranch a while back. so I'm going to go with buffalo because I don't think any kind of donkey can be qualified as exotic. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Not that I'm against donkeys. Fair enough, fair you know, they've no, got no. their place in the world. So. Um, so what was your tipping point Drupal moment? You know, so at what point did you kind of decide that, okay, the Drupal community is the place where I want to, you know, spend my effort and, and, you know, kind of point my career? Probably when I first started, officially started, I guess when I created my D.O. account officially six or seven years ago, when I was in Alaska, um, I actually worked for the Juno School District, and I was hired as their district-wide web developer. And I chose Drupal 6 as the platform for their district website, as well as the 12 different uh, independent school sites. And so I had to create this entire infrastructure for um, all their school websites, essentially. And I chose Drupal as that. Um, I I remember playing around with Drupal for... Um, and I think even some uh, Drupal 5. Uh, and I decided to try and give Drupal 6 a chance because I heard there was so much more you know you can do with it. And mm-hmm. I liked it enough that I actually, you know, it's like, okay, I can see where this is going. And I, I became interested. And so I, I definitely, that would probably be my most uh, memorable uh, decision to start down this path for sure. All right, cool. Very good. Um so before we wrap things up, let me mention one more sponsor real quick, webenable.com and devpanel.com. If you're looking for kind of an old school host where you can you know, log in via SSH and move stuff around easily and have you know, a team, uh, other members of your team with various, varying levels of permissions on those servers, um, definitely check out webenable.com and devpanel.com. Com, where you can build, manage, and deploy Drupal and other content management system-based websites. 
Um, if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more episodes of our podcast, you can always go to drupaleasy.com slash podcast, or you can search for our podcast on pretty much all of the main uh, podca- podcast aggregators. Um, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, uh, preferably one that doesn't involve cats or uh, or screaming. <laughs> Call us here in the U.S. It's a plus one three two one three nine six two three four zero. If you want to check out what we might be talking about on the next episode, you can um, go on Reddit. We have our own subreddit, which is Drupal Easy Podcast, all squished together, no dashes or underscores or anything. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. So, Mark, hey, thanks a lot for taking the time today. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, a lot of of really interesting information. Um, I think I speak for everyone listening when I say you should really just go outside and ride a bike for a little while or something. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, you promised that you're going to keep, uh, you're going to keep Bootstrap stable, so we got to keep you stable as well. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, very good. Uh, thanks again, Mark, and we'll see everybody on the next episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya! <laughs> <laughs>